The reviews are in and Secrets is a hit. Listeners have described Secrets as priceless information, a personal cheat sheet, and binge-worthy career advice. And season three promises to bring you even more secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get that coin. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season three. Hey, everybody, welcome to Secrets. Hey, Keith, brother, what's what's happening, man? What's on your mind today? You know, I'm doing all right, actually. But recently, I had an opportunity to talk to a group of young people about my career. And it dawned on me that many of us in our 40s and 50s are actually the first in our family to hold professional corporate positions, right? Yep. We were the first in our families to move out of manual labor and low-level service jobs, and to really have a realistic shot at actually moving into the middle class and upper middle class. Yeah, man, Keith, that is so true. I mean, I think it was like we were really taking a chance. We did, we were really doing something different, you know. And I grew up seeing my mom and dad have two and three jobs trying to make ends meet. It was like being on in living color when you used to see my man talk about, hey man, when it was the Jamaican and he had <laughs> yes. like five, he had like five jobs. That's the West <laughs> Indian Jamaican thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> but I used to see my mom and dad have two and three jobs, you know, a piece, you know, trying to make ends meet. You know, and as children of the post Great Depression, you know, where they were being born in the forties, you know, and whatnot, that's all they knew was to get after it with manual jobs that either offered a pension or some other benefit that could support multiple mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean, college wasn't really in the plans for them. And it wasn't even an option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, you graduate, hey, go on out there and get your little job. Go on down there to the plant. You know, go down to wherever it was. I mean, it was really all about the hustle. You know, the hustle. Not to dance. Not to dance. <laughs> right. We talk about hustling after that paper. So imagine what type of anxiety they may have experienced when I was adamant about wanting to go to college and not hustle the way that they did. Yeah. And not to mention that probably during their time frame and our parents, our grandparents, Jim Crow was still in full effect. Oh, right. This whole doctrine of separate but equal. Mm-hmm. Whites only, blacks only, just craziness. I, I mean, I can't imagine having to be a part of that. I mean, we were literally right after that, right after all of that shit just got, you know, dismantled. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and it's crazy because we think about the aftermath and we thought we was kind of doing something because we didn't know all the rules and everything, but we knew it was certain places we weren't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we knew we no doubt. To do. and, but, but now you think about the kids now or the younger uh, generation, they have no recollection of that. It's whatever they learn on TV or whatever they might see. In the history books now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. This first generation corporate theme, 
you know, makes me think about so many of my BIPOC friends and colleagues that have grown up in in a similar scenario with immigrant parents where they were translating for their parents and at like the parent teacher conferences. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, yep. or having to complete financial aid and college applications when they were younger because those processes were foreign to their parents. Mm-hmm. So true. I, mean, I, I can remember having to do some stuff, and I'm asking my mom and dad, and it's like, they I, can't, yeah, I can't really help you I with that. I can't help you with yeah, that. They couldn't help me with math, yeah. science. They couldn't help me with none of that hey, stuff. Like, like my dad would say, he's like, hey, it looked neat. <laughs> He'd be like, I can't really tell you what it's say. But it looked good. Yeah, it looked neat. <laughs> He's like, hey, make sure you write in the lines, you know. I'm like, right. <laughs> I got you, bro. But when you fast forward to today and now that they're in corporate America balancing like their family responsibilities with the quest to achieve their career aspirations as well, this ends up being a lot. Yeah, you know, to kind of deal with. It does. It is a lot to deal with. And I think this will make a great episode for us today. And in this episode, we'll explore the journey of minorities and women moving into professional corporate jobs. Mm-hmm. Look at that history a little bit. We'll share some of our personal triumphs and tribulations of being the first in the family to work in corporate America. We'll provide some receipts on issues faced by first-generation employees in the workplace. And today, we'll close out with four secrets on how to navigate your career as a first-generation professional. Man, so KP, let's start out by providing our listeners a little history lesson on women and minorities entering the workplace. Mm. Okay, some history. So we've talked about black women being the most disrespected person in America. And I know people probably get tired of us saying it. That's right. But make it not be true. Make it not be true. <laughs> make it not Malcolm be didn't true. say it because it wasn't true. <laughs> right. So let me drop some knowledge right out the gate from the Economic Policy Institute. Okay, so compared with other women in the U.S., black women have always had the highest levels of labor market participation, regardless of their age, marital status, or presence of children at home. In 1880, 35.4% of married black women and 73.3% of single black women were in the labor force compared with only 7.3% of married white women and 23.8% of single white women. Mm, you dropping receipts already. Hey, man, they was out there working. Yes, we talking about they, they were out working, there working. On was, the, in the fields. Putting in work. So differences in black and white women's labor participation were not only due to the uh, societal expectation of black women's gainful employment, but also to labor market discrimination against black men, which resulted in lower wages and less stable employment compared to white men. So black women's main job historically have been in low wage, agricultural and domestic service. Mm-hmm. Even after uh, migration of the North during uh, the 20th century, most employers would only hire black women in domestic service work. Until the 1970s, employers' exclusion of black women from better paying, higher status jobs with mobility meant that they had little choice but to perform private domestic service work for white families. Mm. The 1970s was also the era when 
large numbers of married white women began to enter the labor force, and this led to a marketization of services previously performed within the household, including care and food services. Black women continue to be overrepresented in service level jobs. Till today. Nearly a third, meaning about 28% of black women are employed in service jobs compared with just one-fifth of women. Mm-hmm. So I know we're a little early on the receipts, but we're trying to ground you, ground you. <laughs> as to what we mean and how we get to this point when we start talking about first-generation corporate first generation. America. And if people just step back for a minute, just look around, see who's serving you. When you go through that drive through. Yeah. See who's cleaning your house. See who's cleaning that office. Mm-hmm. All that stuff that's still going on today. This is what we're talking about. This ain't about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. No. <laughs> Another little history nugget for you. According to the Brookings Institute, in the 1970s, that brought a huge change in women in and in the workforce. For the first time, young women expected that they would spend a substantial portion of their lives in the labor force and they prepared for it by increasing their educational attainment and taking courses and majoring in college and different fields to better equip them for careers as opposed to just jobs Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And these changes in attitudes and expectations were supported by other changes underway in society. Workplace protections were enhanced through the passage of the Pregnancy Discrimination Act in 1978 and the recognition of sexual harassment in the workplace. This is the 70s. Sexual harassment was just getting recognized in the 70s. Right. That's crazy. Access to birth control increase, which allowed married couples greater control over the size of their families and young women, the ability to delay marriage and to plan children around their educational and work choices. And in 1974, women gained for the first time the right to apply for credit in their own name without a male co-signer. Mm. What kind of shit is that? <laughs> this has been, been like 50 years. Women couldn't even get a credit card. Yeah. Lord have mercy. And then in the early 1990s, the labor force participation rate of prime working age women, which is those between the ages of 25 and 54, reached just over 74% compared with roughly 93% for prime age working men. By then, the share of women going into traditional fields of teaching, nursing, social work, and clerical work declined, and more women actually started to move into more professional fields, becoming doctors, lawyers, managers, and professors. And as women increased their education and joined industries and occupations formerly dominated by men, the gap in earnings between men and women began to significantly close. But as we've talked about on Secrets a number of times, that gap is still large. Oh, man. I mean, this this history just grounds you, right? Yes. Like, this absolutely grounds you. So, again, we just getting started. Just getting okay? started. We just getting started. And although we have been conditioned to disregard the fact that America was built on the backs of slaves and immigrants. Yes. Okay. The reality is that we have countless facts and receipts that further illustrate the hard work and challenges faced by first-generation corporate Americans that legitimizes the argument that they have 
made America what it is today. Without these first-generation corporate American citizens, we would not know it as it we is not, today. We would not know what it is today. And despite being in this country for hundreds of years, it really wasn't until the 1970s when underrepresented employees started to actually get recognized in leadership roles and mm-hmm. be given the opportunity to even be in leadership roles, right? Clifton Wharton, for example, became the first black CEO ever of a major U.S. corporation when he took the reins of TIAA in 1987. 87. 87. And just to add a little flavor to that, there's only been 19 <laughs> black CEOs ever Jeez. in the history of major corporations, right? Roberto Guazetta became the first Hispanic CEO in 1981 when he was named chief executive of Coca-Cola. And Catherine Graham broke through the glass ceiling as the first female CEO when she took the reins of the Washington Post in 1972. So all of this stuff is like in our lifetime. Yeah. In our lifetime. This ain't that old. (laughs) And you know, like when, when your parents say stuff like, Man, I never thought I'd see something like that in my lifetime. Like we, Barack Obama. Yeah, hey, but you know, like that we're talking about parents who was born in the late thirties and in the forties and stuff. Like we're talking about our parents, you know, yes. at least. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you think about grandparents that was born well before that. We're not too far away from that. Not at all. Not, not too far all. away from that. So when we start thinking about I know we always draw a comparison to the purple unicorn, mm-hmm. you know, here, right? Like you never see that, right? So you think about our parents and some of our relatives who grew up, like if we just told them the first black CEO, the first Hispanic CEO, that wouldn't mean anything it to them because they never seen it. They never seen it. They never seen it. Chances are, at their plant jobs and some of those other manual labor jobs, it's probably not somebody that looks like them who's leading them. Mm-hmm. No <laughs> doubt, we <laughs> already know? know that. Right. So now look, we're talking about that and trying to set the groundwork. But let's kind of think about the good and the bad of being the first. Because, look, me and you have been in this seat. You know, we we have family members and friends who are the first, you know, to be able yeah. to do some stuff. Now, the good is definitely like that family pride. Oh, no doubt. You know, when, no you, doubt. when you're the first one to do it. Remember at graduation? I mean, not just college. I mean, boy. It could have been junior high school, man, middle school, elementary, elementary school, school, anything. But graduating from anything, you just remember how loud and proud your family was for you. Big ass signs. <laughs> <laughs> blowing horns. And whatever else they could use that would let them know what family you belong to. Yes. They screaming at the top of their lungs. They got pom poms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything. There go my baby. There go my baby. <laughs> Hey, hey, and you're giving that point. You're giving that nod. Like, you might be embarrassed, but at the end of the day, that family pride, right? Yes. You know, but again, I think the pride came from you being a bit different or smart because you were able to get that good job. That good job. <laughs> you know what that I'm saying? You were able to get that good job. When you... um are able to get that good job, boy, they are talking about you on the phone to your uncles and your aunties. Everybody. Boy, they, they talking. They hollering about you. Talking about you to their co-workers in the break room. Man, they even talking about you when they're playing bid whiz and dominoes yes. with their partners. You know what I'm saying? Yes, like They don't yes. miss a moment don't miss to a talk moment about their baby. To you know brag. what I'm saying? Even though they go a bit overboard with it, 
that family pride is just beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> That's right. But on the flip side of that, there's also that immense pressure to represent and yeah. not embarrass your family as a result of all of that pride, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they, they're super proud of you being the first to be able to accomplish this, get that professional job. But there's that pressure that don't embarrass this family. Yeah. Remember I told you, remember my daddy told me when uh, before I got ready to go to school, he was like, man, all I got is that last name. I ain't got a lot to give to you. <laughs> that last name, that's mine. He that's said, right. they got your granddaddy's blood, sweat, and tears that's on That's right. You. <laughs> and then he said, here's the ultimate pressure. Don't fuck this up. No. <laughs> I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and that's just a family. But then you have the added pressure of representing your race at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you just said, we are given instructions for every corner of on how to act, how to dress. And if you're black. How not to be ashy? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, grease up them joints, boy. <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, how not to trust a man? Yeah, right. Keep your third eye on. Keep your third eye off. <laughs> you know, and though my parents were proud of my achievements, they had a very healthy dose of skepticism about corporate America. <laughs> right? Healthy. Trust me, they thought anyone who worked for the man was Republican, crooked, or a union buster trying to like <laughs> break the backs of the man, right? Yeah. They were not playing in my house at the end of the day. And so for the first 10 years of my career, when I was a professional, my parents were totally fearful that I was going to become a hybrid of Gordon Gecko and Clarence Thomas. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That's going to be an ugly ass baby. No, but anyway. That. that baby got some strong features. Right. <laughs> that baby got some strong features. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. And for me, man, it seemed like everybody in the family was also waiting for me to get that first paycheck. Ooh, Man, couldn't wait. That was like, boy, we rich. We rich. <laughs> we. We. It was a we oh, conversation. Boy. And if you were like me, being the first generation corporate American, you likely didn't have any assets, meaning None. you didn't have shit to your name, right? None. Like, you know, Nothing. Like, you know, a car. Like When we say no assets, we're talking like a car, apartment, Barely have furniture. Yeah, you have nothing. Man, and I was having this internal battle of wanting to hang with my friends and coworkers at the club or wherever they was hanging out. Yeah, at, wherever. Okay, and my family trying to dip into my pockets, counting my chips for me. Yes, you know yes, what I'm saying? That's right. They was counting. So they I'm like, knew how much you made. Well, exactly. Well, look, I, look. I remember my mom saying one time to me. Baby, don't you get paid this Friday? <laughs> but she didn't already counted my money because she whatever she was gonna ask for, right. whatever she needed, whatever she needed, she didn't already got her speech right. Right, <laughs> she was ready. She yeah, had the talking she, points. Yeah. Well, at least she didn't say, "Don't we get paid?" <laughs> at least she made me feel like it was mine. But I knew when she asked me about that payday, man. I knew it was about to be the week it, conversation. It was about to be on, mm-hmm. and you know we were stretched. You know, being first generation, you are stretched <laughs> when that paycheck comes in. You you already behind before the first paycheck even come in <laughs> at the end of the day. It's Money just crazy. Spent. That's Money right. Spent. And then you have all of this stuff that you have to deal with at work, being yeah. at work. Being the first in the family means that there's no roadmap to follow. There's no role <laughs> models. And that advice that you get from your family Ain't worth shit. Yeah. And, you know, 
SOPs, no right. standards, uh, operating procedures, ain't no manual. Ain't nothing. Yeah. You That's go right. ask your parents or your family, they'd be like, hmm, well. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It was like there. when you brought that uh, algebra equation home <laughs> in high school, and they're like, I don't know nothing about that, man. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. It wasn't no internet back then. Well, no. <laughs> there no internet. You had to go get in one of them encyclopedias or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that hair writing look neat, right? Here. <laughs> exactly. Stand the lines. <laughs> <laughs> but because you don't have any of that stuff, you're just walking around on eggshells, right? Yeah. Trying to navigate as best as you can, trying not to screw up and get fired. And as an end result of that, embarrassing your family. Because that's all that stuff is always on your mind. Yep. Right? And I don't know what I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I can't know what my parents couldn't know. Right. At the end of the day. So that's the dilemma and that paradox that you live in as a first-generation American. Now, I have to say, I was actually lucky because one of my parents' best friends actually owned a property management company, and he gave me an accounting internship like during the summers while I was in college and the holidays while I was in college. So I was actually able to learn how companies work. Mm-hmm. And that experience was like so invaluable. I got some practical knowledge. I learned how to build some professional relationships. All that stuff didn't mean anything to me at that time, but looking back on it, I realized that that experience of being able to actually work in a company environment, work in a place where I was safe, having role model to teach me different things actually set me up later when I actually into the real corporate world yeah. that I was able to navigate a little bit better than the average bear. So that internship yes. was actually worth it absolutely and that was like four <laughs> years right because i did it every summer mm-hmm. every holiday i was in that company doing doing stuff yeah you know and I, and I think as we're thinking about the good you know and the bad you know this i think one of the things that comes to me because that's a great experience that you had mm-hmm. but lucky. i started thinking through you know sometimes you just don't have like those natural networks to help you either Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, we're talking about trying to learn on your own and on the fly and not necessarily being set up. But people with means have been introducing you to people in various industries, social circles and internships like you were able yeah. to get. Right. And that was like your mama's friend. That's my friend. Your, your That's mama's right. friend. Right. But like we're talking about other folks have means. Yeah. People who have networks. Means. That's right. You know, but. Again, these internships since at least high school. Yeah. Okay. So you come into the workplace with some knowledge of what to expect. Yep. Okay. And what to do. <laughs> a little bit. You're able to right? figure it out. So first generation professionals don't have that oftentimes. Sometimes we're left with the networks and communities that we built from church, yeah, you know, yeah. or participating in what? The quinceanera, the cotillions, the debutante balls. And we're talking about if you're lucky, you know, you get, you know, some of those. You get that. Or maybe joining fraternities or sororities. Yeah, during your college. Like, that ends up being like your. Your network, your support system. That's who you end up kind of like 
kicking it with and trying to learn, you know, from them. And we both know that those networks will rarely get you to the level that you aspire to be in your professional career. That's true, because you're all in the struggle together. <laughs> most of the time. Y'all all, all trying to, learn, trying to learn at the same time. And being first generation also means that there is a high probability that you're a person of color, that you're an immigrant, or that you just po. Yeah. Po. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no OR on that. You just po. <laughs> right. And therefore, you have to spend a great deal of energy just justifying your presence. Yeah. Yeah. Or enduring microaggressions, explaining your race or gender, national origin, explaining your culture all the damn time. And then on top of that, then you got a code switch. You got to go into the organization just to survive. You got to learn how to speak a whole new language. Yeah. Now and you'll be able to manage you'll be that. Tired, right. You, know, you don't have time for nothing else because you've been doing this. You've been playing this game. All that. Yeah. And when you question shit or stand up for yourself, you are seen as belligerent, not a team player, not a good cultural fit. And all of this is code for holding first-generation employees back. Preach. I mean, look, man, at the end of the day, like, the impact of this is real, okay? Mm -hmm. There can be a ton of pressure on us as first-generation corporate Americans. This can absolutely take a toll on us mentally and physically. Yeah, and we've heard that from a lot of our interviewees on yep. these episodes, just the mental health impacts of being, you know, underrepresented in the workplace. And a lot of them were first generation too. Yeah, I mean, and we're talking about, you know, that mental and physical stuff. We're talking about that imposter syndrome again. We're talking about all of those things kind of come up and they start you start make questioning yourself thinking you crazy. Yeah, thinking you crazy <laughs> all the time. Right. And as I listen to this, the moral of the story just kind of being a first generation underrepresented employee in corporate America means that you have another dimension of code switching and all those things we talked about that you have to overcome because the power structures won't always recognize that struggle that you've been through that we are enduring and that's so true i mean because if they was recognizing it we wouldn't be talking about we it we wouldn't today. be talking about it <laughs> you that's know absolutely right. that's so right. look again keith we've been talking about some things here and i know we hit y'all with some receipts early in the game did. okay to kind of ground you but we're about to hit you with a few more receipts because that's what, just what we do right we do. so in today's you know episode when we talk about these receipts we're going to share some receipts on the issues faced by first-generation professionals in the workplace. And we're going to just hit you with a few of them. So, Keith, just hit us with receipt number one. Yeah, receipt number one. The Office of Civil Rights under the U.S. Department of Commerce actually conducted a study to look at the barriers faced by first-generation professionals. And they identified five key barriers to career advancement for first-generation professionals. First, was a lack of access to development programs and internships before college. Mm. Second was a lack of educational and professional networks. Third was little disposable income for social events with coworkers. Fourth was a lack of orientation on how to navigate office culture and advance one's career. And finally, there was limited access to career mentors. This is not rocket science, man. Not rocket science. We, we just talked about it. Exactly. But here's the proof. <laughs> exactly. Receipt number two. That study also shows that these issues for first-generation professionals actually start in college. Mm -hmm. 
Research on first-generation college students have found that these students have lower retention rates and lower levels of engagement with students and faculty than their peers. Several factors led to this phenomenon, such as financial hardship from coming from a lower socioeconomic background and pressure to financially support family members, struggles with attaining social capital on campus, and for women, juggling multiple identities of gender role expectations with being students, family members, and sometimes even parents. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I tell you, man, I mean, I know we just don't receipt number two, but I know some of our listeners out there saying, damn, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what me. I had to deal with. That's what I had to deal mm-hmm. with. And receipt number three. I know we were wearing this report out, and we're going to keep wearing it out. <laughs> but similar to colleges and university campuses, white-collar professional workplace environments also tend to be populated by middle and upper socioeconomic class employees, mm-hmm. and thereby middle to upper class values, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the system is all about. It follows that first-generation professionals who might also have been the first in their family to attend college, might experience similar challenges in adjusting to the workplace. Yeah. Right? Same holes. Research has highlighted the importance of an employee's cultural fit in the workplace towards his or her performance. However, because the predominant culture in a white-collar workplace is defined by middle and upper-class values, bias in terms of hiring and advancement, can work against applicants from lower social economic backgrounds. For example, a large number of companies only recruit at the most elite colleges and universities. <laughs> First generation employees rarely have access to these universities, where about half of first-generation college students actually attend community college, and another large chunk attend HBCUs, HSIs, and tribal colleges and universities. So we're not even in the gene pool, in the selection pool, for the opportunities to move into the corporations. But the crazy part about exposing like these receipts is again we're talking about pull yourself up by your bootstraps we're talking about everybody got a chance we're talking about the and the facts show differently they show differently (laughs) you know like the first generation like yeah it's some people who will make it there's some people who who show up well and take advantage of those opportunities but the majority don't get that opportunity they don't get that opportunity even so look receipt number four and the final one for us is our favorite report points out that one aspect of office culture navigation included properly navigating authority structures to get work done. So this is the matrix that we're talking about, right? Some first-generation employees describe not knowing proper communication protocols like when or how to communicate with supervisors when completing tasks that need supervisor input or approval, or not initially knowing the etiquette that one should communicate with the first-level supervisor 
first before communicating with or making requests of a second level supervisor. And these are those little things. But we're talking about you done messed up one time. Right. And now <clears throat> you're doomed. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't know it ahead because of time. Because you didn't know. You didn't have a good orientation. Exactly. Which then leads to you not having a good employee experience. Exactly. <laughs> and you didn't have that internship in high school that slapped your hand and taught you then that you don't do this stuff. Yeah. I mean... Again, I wish I could say we're making this up and we're doing our own thing here, but we're reading it, <laughs> you know. It also discussed was the need to adjust one's communication style to a style some participants described as overly indirect and politically correct. Well, okay? How many times have we heard that? <laughs> right. Trying to figure out how to professionally and appropriately challenge the status quo. Yes. These participants describe needing time to make these adjustments. So you can't learn on the fly. You need to learn. Yeah. You need to know it ahead of time so you can build the right muscle, mm -hmm. you know, here. And it also said that these adjustments initially felt inauthentic to their own identities. So we're talking about conforming to the system here. Yes. And how many times have we talked about the hardship of trying to bring your authentic self to work? Yeah. They really don't want it sometimes. They, they don't really want don't want it. it sometimes. However, in the separate discussions by supervisors who answered questions about the importance of an employee's professionalism and soft skills, most of the supervisors said they valued an employee's interpersonal skills as much as the technical skills. So, again, not what you do, but how you do also it. Also how you do it. <laughs> you know, yep. thus the interpersonal skills deemed acceptable in the workplace environment appear necessary for first-generation employees fitting in with their coworkers and appearing competent to their supervisors. <laughs> it's the okey-doke, man. It's the okey-doke. It's the okey-doke, man. If you I don't, don't know, know the what stuff, to say. Look, it's a secret community out there that we talk about, and, yes. and most of it is predicated upon you not knowing. That's right. So you continue to make the some same of the same mistake. mistakes. That's right. And there's no class to teach you all of this stuff. No. There's no class in high school or college to just teach you this stuff. Yeah. This yeah. is all the behind the scenes, behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz stuff that people who have status and privilege and everything else learn yeah. that you ain't getting. And think about it. This is why we have secrets. This is why, this we, is do why it. we have secrets, this man. Is why we, we do we, it. We started out with maybe a few people listening. Now we got over what thirteen thousand, you know, Listeners. downloads, That's right. man. Listeners. We, we, we're trying That's right. to like make this happen, man. But what I want to do at this point, man, is maybe just kind of switch into like these secrets. Mm -hmm. We've been talking to you and giving you the receipts, telling you what's happening with us. Let's go ahead and give you some secrets here. And today we'll provide four secrets on how to navigate the workplace as a first-generation employee. Number one, find your peeps. Find your people. Number two, hear what they say, but watch what they do. Mm. Number three, find an authentic balance. And finally, number four is lead with your performance. Mm -hmm. So, Keith, talk about secret number one. Yeah, secret number one, find your peeps. It's really important to find people you can easily relate to, share cultural experiences with, even listen to the same music, eat mm -hmm. the same food. Just having that grounding experience is really important for you to be able to just feel comfortable and move ahead, right? 
And again, don't worry about them staring at you at sitting together at the cafeteria in the cafeteria sitting <laughs> yeah. at the table because they're going to do it. It don't matter where it is or the moment. Anytime there's more than one of y'all together, they're going to be talking about you. Yeah. So don't even worry about exactly. it. Just brush that stuff off. Embrace the bonds you create with your peeps because those are the ties that will help you navigate the likely challenges that lie ahead for you. Mm, I love that secret, man. Find yeah. your peeps. Find your peeps. Secret number two, hear what they say, but watch what they do. Corporate America is full of double speak. Okay, so don't get caught on the hamster wheel chasing mirages like we talked about when other folks are getting opportunities without those same asks. Yeah. Okay. So again, hear what they say, but watch what they do. Just watch. Yeah. Watch because they're going to tell you, hey, Ricky, you need to do X, Y, and Z to get to this point. But then you look over here and there's five people over here that ain't have to do none of that to get where they got. Note to self. So basically keep them notes to yourself. You know, start watching. Start watching. With that eyebrow up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we need a t-shirt, Ricky, with that eyebrow up, I, I think. That, yeah. That may be I the next you. one. Yeah, maybe the you. next one. <laughs> <laughs> Secret number three, find an authentic balance. Mm-hmm. Right, find that authentic balance between your quest to achieve your aspirations in corporate America while also staying true to your roots and DNA that have built you into the leader that you are today. Mm. Right? <laughs> Don't give up on it. Don't be embarrassed to speak to or share stories about your upbringing or beginnings, no matter how humble they may be. I talk all the time. I tell people that I don't have any embarrassment about, you know, being a product of a single mom, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. desegregating schools, being poor, all those things. Yeah. I just embrace it. And that just makes me much more authentic. And people appreciate that at the end of the day. And this will go far into helping you find your voice, but it'll also help you showcase your grit, your tenacity, your resilience. Absolutely. All of that stuff, right? Because I think a lot of times what people are looking for in these roles, when they're looking for leaders, they're looking for somebody who's been through some things. Mm -hmm. Okay? They're looking for somebody who who has a complete personality Mm -hmm. they bring more to the table than just the table stakes yes you know so again i i definitely swear by that being able to be authentic you know with that balance you know there the final secret number four here is lead with your performance okay let your performance be the subject of the discussion Okay, versus your ethnic background or your upbringing. You don't want them to be like, yeah, well, Keith, I don't know if he can. Like, let's talk about Keith's performance. Is Keith out there killing it? You know, because if Keith's out there killing it, shouldn't that really be like the measurement of his value anyway? That's the criteria. that, That performance. So lead with your performance. If you lead with your performance, it make everything else kind of easier for you. That's right. That is your receipt. Yeah. At the end of the day, we've talked about this before. Before anything else, performance comes first. Yeah, absolutely. You got to perform. Mm-hmm. Got to perform to get those opportunities. So as we wrap up here, we just want to say 
Hopefully those secrets were impactful for you and useful for you. And if you want more of those resources on those secrets or even the receipts that we shared earlier, you can go to our website, secrets.com. Look in those show notes that Janelle does for us to see what's out there because there's, there's more reading for you because we just we hit the tip of the iceberg for you here in the podcast. Absolutely. We give you a lot to kind of think about. We absolutely know it, but. Y'all tell us what you want to hear, and we make sure we talk about it, okay? But I really want to give a shout-out to the listeners and the fans out there. I mean, I know we do it ad nauseum, but honestly, you you all have just made all of this possible. And it would not, we would not have this 13,000 following, you know, if it wasn't for y'all. So we really, really appreciate, you know, you being able to tune in and listen and be sure to write a review on Apple. We keep seeing every week it's a new review on there. And support us on Patreon, right? Because we want to keep on bringing you hot fire. We've launched a new update on Patreon. And we're starting to add more behind-the-scenes content and videos of previous episodes and interviews. But also me and Keith Clowning before the episodes. So sometimes y'all might need to go ahead and take a look at that. Because that's right. We, we clean up well. Like, that's yeah, right. We clean up well. <laughs> By the time y'all here, we clean up well. That's that's right. We have a little fun. So those are the times we're doing the F-bombs and everything else that you may not hear on the episode, but we're having a good time. And as you know, and if you don't know, you can know now that we created folk secrets to help you get your coin, yeah, get that to bread. help you build your generation, no wealth, help you get your seat at the table. Mm-hmm. So again, we're always here for you. We will give you advice. Coaching services are available. We can help your organization if you're thinking about things, thinking about how how can we make our organization a better organization. We're here for you. Check out our website for more information on that under our Secret Services tab because we're here. Yeah, and whether you're first generation or 10th generation in corporate America, let's all do you know our part to make the workplace more equitable and inclusive. That's the least we can do. Yeah. And go out there and get your COVID shot, your boosters, Whew. whatever it is, so we can ensure more generations are around to take their chance to live the dream. Yes, get that shot. Quit messing around. Quit messing around. There's nothing to be scared. Don't be scared. Well, look, the holidays is getting close. And like I, we didn't already said in my family, you ain't vaccinated, you ain't coming over here. You ain't coming over here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, what we yeah. say down south. Yeah, that's, that's more yeah. fried turkey for that's, me. That's you know, right. You ain't got to come over. You ain't coming over. But I do know I am going to get one of them uh, sweet potato pies this year. You are, too. Ricky. Yeah, I got one for you. I got. One. I may even have two for you this yeah, year. Yeah, You've been pretty good. Yeah, with them, them jokers ain't my last one, man. I had to come back over and get another one, man. I was like, what, what happened over here? I thought I hit it, man. Oh, that's funny. And as we close out, let me just say that I'm going to be the first. <laughs> To generate a <laughs> refill for this empty has class of mine. <laughs> so, again, thank y'all all for listening to Secrets today. And remember, when we share, you transform. Peace. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from KP and PR. In fact, one listener said that Secrets makes me smarter every time I listen, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. 
Check us out on the web at www.secrets.com. That's www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.